Welcome to 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness with your host, Dr. Rob Bell. Dr. Rob interviews expert coaches, executives, and athletes about mental toughness and their hinge moments. The hinge. It connects who we are with who we've become, and it only takes one. And now for your host, Dr. Rob. I'm going to get there. I'm going to start with, with something that I think about a lot is it, it, the economics of it. So I imagine, okay, you, you take your kid to the, um, to the local carnival. It's five bucks to go in and, you know, they start kind of acting up, that attitude, whatever. You're just like, okay, you know, let's, let's go home. Compare that to we're going to Disney World. Exactly. We got plane tickets. We're at Disney. It costs X amount. You get in the Epcot and the kids start acting crazy that parent's gonna be way more likely to just snap, okay? And golf, obviously, is Disney World. <laughs> and it costs a lot, it takes up time, and it is easy for a parent to get frustrated when a kid is, is kind of pouring that out. Hey, this is Dr. Rob Bell. If you want a free ebook, the best mental toughness quotes that will make you better, just text Dr. Rob Bell, that's D-R-R-O-B-B-E-L-L, to this number, 33444. You'll get a download right away. So my name is Dr. Rob Bell. Uh, thanks for joining us here on 15 Minutes of Mental Toughness. Be sure to visit the website, drrobbell.com, and if you like this episode, which I know you will, Please subscribe and leave a review. They really help. Our guest today, uh, big fan of this guy. I've known him for several years, um, back even when I was a sports psychology professor. And he is a, a golf instructor and coach, fantastic coach, and you're going to find out why, uh, up in uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And uh, you can follow him at Golf Study Collective. So the reason why I have this awesome individual on is because he was – one of these phenoms and the phenom when it comes to the sport of golf so for instance from the age of 11 to about 15 this individual won about 90 percent of his tournaments he won two national events at uh, age of 11 age of 14 uh, was top 10 in the world so just a point of reference in eighth grade he took a visit to Oklahoma State and was offered a scholarship, you know, back in eighth grade in Oklahoma State, as any golf fan knows, one of the best programs in the nation. And I know he's going to be able to tell this story, but I'm really excited about this guest today because, again, he's a fantastic coach. He's going to help tons of juniors, and he's going to help any kind of parent that's going to be listening to this podcast episode today. Let's get after it. Our guest today is Albert Jennings. Albert, how you feeling, buddy? Doing well. How are you, Doc? Man, thanks so much for doing this, man. I appreciate Absolutely. you joining us. Well, let's start it, man. Just tell us about your journey, man, from from getting involved in golf and everything that kind of comes with it. Yeah, so you know, my my dad started playing golf a few years before I was born, real casually, and the his same buddies that got him started, you know, sort of got me started and inspired him to put a club in my hand. So. You know, I think the earliest picture they have of me was two or three with a kind of playhouse uh, plastic club in the backyard. I, I played in my first tournament when I was five. Um, and I, I did not win uh, from ages five to ten. I didn't win one time. And right. it, it's kind, kind of speaks to uh, development. I try to tell parents all the time, look, if you're small, and you are still, you know, you haven't hit a growth spurt yet and your, your kid is, is just underdeveloped, you know, relative to, you know, th there's a kid that was here in town, Russell Bird, he played basketball at Michigan State, he's 6'8", you know, so when we were seven years old, he's two feet taller than me and I wasn't going to hit it past him and I wasn't going to beat him. And so I was really pretty discouraged. I really loved the sport, but when it came to the competitive side, since I started so early, uh, I was pretty discouraged because I wasn't winning. And I was getting instruction pretty casually at the time. Friends of my dad, um, kind of here or there, pros in town. And then started getting more serious instruction consistently from Tim Frazier uh, yeah. around age 9, 10. And then I won a tournament, I think, the summer when I was 10 years old. And that was the first time I won. And then after that, it was just 
floodgates. And so the next year I won the national drive, chip and putt. Um, and then from then it was, you know, there was a year where I was player of the year, and like four different tours. There was an indie tour at the time, Fort Wayne tour, uh, you know, in the States and traveling. We started traveling around that age to play in the Midwest outside of that in Florida. So we were traveling the country when I was you know, early 11 12 13 years old Um, and that's really when I peaked competitively and so all the sort of everything that comes with that I mean like you said I visited Oklahoma State in eighth grade you know I'm missing school to fly out to Oklahoma to go on a visit you know I'm missing school around the same time to fly out to ping um, to go to the factory and and get fit for clubs and you know be given things and, and really pampered and so um and then when I got into high school, I started to really struggle, you know, nationally so, at least. Yeah, yeah. So real quick, just right before we get to that part, because I think your your journey, like, I mean, you would you would wear pants like as a kid. Yeah. Why, why would you Why would yeah. you wear pants as a kid? Well, I was going to be a pro, you know. It was, and I remember uh, playing in the Midwest. Usually, at any given tournament, Justin Thomas and I would be the two kids that would have on pants. Yep. And we'd be having putting contests and, and, you know, trying to pretend like we're Tiger, really, and, and you know, make the tournament winning putt. And, yeah, we, you know, there was nothing in my head that would say I wouldn't be a professional golfer, wouldn't be a professional by 18 even. That, that At that time, between, you know, ages of 10 and 14, I was really, really sure of. Did the comparisons with Tiger, I mean, did that start real early? Do you remember that, like, first time that happened? Yeah, absolutely. I mean uh, – I was telling one of the kids recently that they were playing the Tiger documentary on the Golf Channel, and they were showing the commercial where he was bouncing the you know the ball yep. up and down. And there's an old clip somewhere. The local news did a feature, and I could do that because I would practice it every day trying to bounce the juggle the ball. And the news feature, you know, I talked a little bit. They said, "Oh, we'll do the thing Tiger did." So I, I do that, and they, they include that in it. And any you know newspaper feature or news feature was going to include that side-by-side pictures uh you know red shirt crouching down it was very much a part of you know my identity almost 100 percent of my identity Mm -hmm. yeah and so as a kid like you start to win you start to have success Mm -hmm. you still loving the sport at this point i take it i mean because winning's fun right yeah absolutely and i actually I remembered recently, I think I wrote my dad a letter in crayon or whatever. I mean, dur- during that time when I wasn't winning between five and nine. Uh, and I said, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I can't win. You know, I'm, I'm upset. You know, I would cry and get upset, you know, on the course if I didn't win. And, um, it, you know, they both my parents basically said, no, you, you know, you need to stick with it. And so after I started winning, I, you know, it obviously gets, as a kid, it gets really easy and you love it and it's really simple. Um, so I do think that I really loved the sport, but more than anything, it was probably winning and being at the top of a leaderboard and then everything that came with that. Yeah. Um, it, and as a kid, right? So what do you remember? You're winning, you're on four different tours, you're traveling everywhere. What do you remember about like the pats on the back and then the things that people would say? Did you did you ever hear any of that stuff or did it just kind of feed well this is who I am, this is the journey I'm gonna be on, so this is this is acceptable. I mean, how do you process that as a kid? It's hard, right? Like it's so hard to self identify and go back and, and have it be really accurate. Right. But I think especially like knowing some of the stuff I know now, right? So like Talent Code's one of my favorite books and they talk about that classic study of, you know, they told one group of kids hey, good job, you worked really hard on this. Yep. And then they told another group of kids, hey, good job, this must come really easy for you. And the group that they told it came easy, when it got harder, they folded. And the group that they told, hey, you worked really hard at this, they were like, oh, well, that's my identity. I work hard, so let me do that, right? Now, and that's not to say that I wasn't told to work hard. I mean, my parents definitely instilled in me to work. Um, but the pats on the back and, and the admiration that I got was very much, I mean, we use language like, phenom and you know just like uh, you know world beater so that you know these really like grand language <laughs> that you tell a kid and and at that age i don't think there's you really can't process it any other way than oh, i guess i am just incredible at this I, I guess it will just come this easy all the time and and it's hard to 
tell a kid that it won't because they, you know, they can't project out into next week. So they certainly can't imagine in two years that their development might stunt or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I remember, you know, I think in, in a lot of kids experience this when you're good early, you know, you go out with your dad's buddies or any adults that are just horrible at golf because most of us are bad right. at golf. And they're like, Oh my gosh, that's amazing. You know, you can do this, you can do that. So you get, you know, it's easy to get kind of, you know, pumped up, but I, I definitely remember having, you know, a, a sense of pride and identity and how good I was in general, but then very much so like in relation to my peers because sure. when i went out to a tournament i wasn't thinking about my process i was i mean you know i i had a routine that i went through but even now i can remember well i'm gonna go over here to the corner of the putting green and putt to a tee with my back to everyone because i know that they're gonna think like that's intimidating that's something tiger would do i think i did read the tiger too you know like so a lot of it was in relation to other people mm. Um, and in relation to the competition, because that was really all I knew and really largely how kids are conditioned now to think about competition. Right. Right. So, yeah. you know, that's fascinating, man. I appreciate that insight, man, because I totally get that. I mean, you know, one of the things it's interesting about golf, right, because my son loves it. Mm-hmm. And when we will go out and we'll play and then people who probably don't know a thing about golf or even that do at, you know, a basic rudimentary level. Mm hmm. They all, I mean, I, I can count the number of times that they will say something about, boy, there's a lot of money in golf, or we're going to see you on TV one day, or don't forget about mm-hmm. us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what? Absolutely. We would never, ever go up to an eight-year-old or nine-year-old shooting baskets and say, boy, man, yeah. you know, we're going to see you on with LeBron soon. <laughs> but we do it right. in golf. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. And this, I, I think it's just kind of the disconnect. Like, people don't even quite get, like, well, how – hard number one golf is but mm-hmm. look being the best at any kind of level is being the best at any kind of level it doesn't matter if it's mm-hmm. checkers or chess or or golf but mm-hmm. i think it was just kind of that disconnect from people and like golf specifically and how tough it is mm-hmm. yeah absolutely i think it's hard i mean it's a hard balance between instilling a child with confidence and helping them just understand reality Right. You know, you know, how, how do you teach a kid that, that, that they can fly and also tell them, hey, don't jump off the building. Right. It's like, yeah. you know, where's that balance? And I, you know, because I, I struggle with kids that I coach now and, and telling, you know, when they're working on a move or there's something that they just haven't been able to do and then they can they can finally do it or, or they do it that first time. The, the tendency is to say, oh, my God, just make a really big deal about it. I mean, throw a party. Oh, my gosh, you did it. You hit it over 200. And it's not necessarily the time to say, now the next shot's not going to go 200. <laughs> and actually, you might regress for a little bit, but this was a big deal, but you might regress and you're going to have to work really hard to get the average to that point. It's like, you know, how do you balance in your communication to a child, like I said, the confidence with, hey, you still need to work because there's probably somebody two doors down that hits it a little further or is working a little harder. And so it's it's tough. I don't know if we have the right answer yet, but like you said, we're definitely on the, we, we tend to be on the wrong side of, Oh, we'll see you on TV. Like, Oh my gosh, you're going to win this. And you're this good. It's, it's tough. Yeah. And so one of, one of the stories I like is when you go to Oklahoma state eighth mm-hmm. grade and then you tee it up with their number one player. Mm-hmm. What do you remember about that, that round and what you shot and then what happened right after? Well, you know, I guess it, it speaks to almost what we just talked about where it, my confidence level at that point, like I don't remember being nervous. I don't remember thinking, Oh my gosh, this guy just won the national championship. Jonathan Moore, great guy. Um, I just remember, Oh, it's pretty cool. I get to play this great course. My parents are off, you know, seeing the campus with the coaches and I'm just playing. So we had just gone, um, we, we got to the course. They kind of showed us around the course real quick. We go to the first tee, uh, the way the rules were, they couldn't watch me swing. So, that's why they sent Jonathan out with me. And they just turn around on the first tee. We tee off. They say, hey, have fun. And, you know, we we had the course to ourselves. And, you know, we just walked 18. And it was it was great. I remember a couple shots. We had that first shot. They get a good shot in part three. And, you know, I just had fun with Jonathan. We get to the 18th hole. My parents are waiting on us. The coaches are waiting on us. Um, Alan Bratton and, and Mike McGraw. So Mike McGraw's at Baylor now. Alan Bratton's still ahead of Oklahoma State. Um, and, you know, it was just normal. 
for me. You know, I'm missing eighth grade. I'm missing kickball tournaments and whatever at school. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then we fly back. You know, post but, but pictures. You, you post, but you posted a score too, right? Yeah, yeah. I shot seventy five. Yeah, I mean, as an eight, <laughs> as an eighth grader, I mean that from yeah. from that distance. I mean that's that just shows you. I mean, boy, I mean you were good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean I think, yeah, and I don't talk about it a whole lot to the kids because I don't, you know. I don't. I don't. I don't think I know quite how to communicate it yet and put it in terms that's helpful to them. You know, without just talking about myself. But it, when they ask me, you know, how how good were you? And it's hard to say. I mean, I was I was winning for sure. Um, but there was definitely something. I think the thing that I want to learn the most about what my experience was is could there have been something done differently? Um, and what happened? Was there a moment, or was there a three, four, five month period? where something could have transitioned you know I, I was at a tpi conference recently and they talked about the i forget what country but it was a skiing team where they're national skiing team and they're developing these kids to be olympians and when they're young when they hit a peak they'll intentionally pull them out of competition so hey you got to this peak you're winning boom we're pulling you out of it and we're getting you ready for the next peak because it doesn't do us any good for you to win everything from 10 to 12 and then 12 you know we have to really ebb and flow it and so i think it, it's they have it more down to a science because there's a lot of physicality involved with the skiing and their growth cycles and whatever with golf i think we could get there but we're gonna have to learn one know every kid individually but two start to take some of the science about psychology and child development and say what is the best tournament schedule what is the best competition and, and training schedule for a kid so that they can peak and then keep training and then peak because like you said, you know, we tell kids, oh, you're going to be on tour. And it's just, well, let's just keep going up, 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 up. But that might not be the best long term thing. Yeah. Well, let, let's delve into that then, man. So you yeah. um, you do yeah. reach that point where it's a high water mark for you. Um, and we've spoken about this before, but walk us through then. Like, what do you remember about when sort of the struggle started or when you remember it sort of happening? Yeah. Yeah. And, and even even in struggle, right? This is relative, right? Like, you know, Ti- Tiger Woods was the most underrated golfer back in the early 2000s. I mean, that's how good right. he was, right? Like, if he yeah. finished third, it's like, boy, what's the matter with him? Sure. And there yeah. was some of that that happened, right? Right, absolutely. Because I was still, you know, on a state level playing pretty good golf, on a regional level still playing pretty good golf. I was all-state as a sophomore and junior. Um, my sophomore year, I think that second round I was with paired with Tyler Duncan, um, who just won on tour, you know, he, he finished pretty high that year, but, um, it, it was really around freshman year and, and going into, into the season where we had a kid, Eric Johnston, who was a senior when I was coming in as a freshman, he went on to play at Purdue, really good player. We had a couple other players that were solid and parents and people started saying, you know, to me like, Oh man, you guys can win state, you know, you, now that you're here and, and since we have Eric and Eric hasn't had, you know, the second guy, and you know, you guys will do this. And, and I started to feel that weight. Um, and I think it coincided with being the age where, you know, 14 years old, being the age where you start to understand a bit more. Maybe you start to understand what it costs for your parents to put you in this. You start to understand your parents' expectations more. You start to internalize maybe their disappointment, even if they're trying to hide it. And, and sometimes it's misinterpreted, honestly. Um, but I think my golf world just got bigger. And the expectations that came from outside of myself that I, that I didn't do a really good job of blocking out, um, started to get to me and I started to think about other things that were not my golf game and all results based. Um, like and what? so, you know, how, you know, would the team win state, you know, oh, would right. I be, you know, am I okay? I've been saying, and people have been saying, Oh, well he could turn pro after high school. I mean, he could be that good. And it was at a time where that was, you know, Ty Tryon and, and, and guys like that. It was at a time where golfers were entertaining oh you could be so good at golf you just you know turn pro which now we understand even the best guys are going to school and being there for a little bit um but yeah some of that stuff it just becoming more real and less dreamlike i guess you know when you, when you put 
you know, it's a good question. You know, how do you have a kid set goals, long-term goals, right? You know, because mm-hmm. like you said, you want it to be as high as possible, but you know, at the same time you get older and okay, you're 14 and you said you were going to turn pro at 18 and you know, you start thinking about all that kind of stuff and it makes a five footer feel different. It makes a simple drive feel different. Yep. Um, and you know, I think this is kind of a separate thing and, and it, it winds up being mental, but, but the, the physical aspect of, of, what it means or, or how to quantify yourself versus other people where, you know, in I think high school, I remember being tough for me where I said, okay, I, I compete on this national level in these 18 whole tournaments that are, uh, or these, you know, 18 rounds, um, 18 whole rounds of two days, three days, four days. And I'm definitely going to separate myself. Now I go play in this high school match. It's nine holes. I just sat in school all day and then I go play in 45 degree weather and Johnny who doesn't ever play anything outside of high school shot 42 and I shot 39. I'm like, well, what, why was he so close to me? And I didn't have, you know, the information understanding to know, Oh, that doesn't mean you're doing worse. It's just a different sample size and whatever. This is how you sure. understand if you did. I mean, that's one of the things I struggle with now so much with the kids is helping them understand, you know, what's good and what's bad. I really wind up just going Zen and saying, Hey, nothing is good or bad. We don't need to label anything, but, go. but helping them understand like, Hey, you know, when you, what is a bad shot or, oh, I played bad today. Like, what, what does that mean? Because if you start to attach words to it, you're going to internalize it and then you're going to have some stuff that builds up inside of you. And so uh, at that time, I definitely didn't have the language and understanding to know what it meant to progress. And, you know, from a physical side is you get, you know, you, it's different for everybody, but when you're going through puberty, when you're going through growth spurts, you start hitting it further. You start being able to hit shots that you can hit before. You can hit a five iron, and it all seems like, oh, I'm getting better, 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 better. Your scores are dropping by five over a summer, right? But then you get to this point where getting better is like half a stroke or one stroke or five yards further. Right, absolutely. And so, you know, it's one thing I say to my players now a lot is like, hey, getting better at this thing might be meaning – making one more putt between four and eight feet per round. I mean, you know this working with pros, right? Like getting better from four to eight feet doesn't mean you're going to go from 80% to 95%, especially in a season, you know. And Mm -hmm. and you see this with the top players when Justin Thomas posts his goals, you know, and he shows you what he was looking to do. It was like get 0.25 better on the greens and strokes gained. I mean, it's small. And so, but I think, you know, kids, especially when when you bring in school and, you know, a, B, C, D, you know, 95%, 90%. I mean, they're, they're so, like, every percent. I mean, they could go from, oh, I wanted an A minus, I got to be plus, and now I'm really upset. You know, I wanted to shoot 80, but I shot 83, and now I'm upset. And, and, and so it's like helping them understand how do I quantify this stuff and how do I assess it without it really affecting me internally like yeah. that was something I, I definitely didn't have the ability to do at that time so i think it's easy for a kid to spiral at that point um and that's what happened you know i just i, I lost confidence in myself when did when do you remember the spiral happening um you know freshman year i struggled and then and this is another interesting kind of thing so i said sophomore and junior year i was all state i have this two iron in my garage that i put in the bag I, I could not hit my driver straight. And so I that's, like, that's where I that know. struggle happens with the driver. Yeah. Okay. I, I could not hit my driver straight. It, it wasn't the yips, but it was effectively, I was just bailing. It was just like so scared to miss it offline that I would just bail and it's just way right. And that was, I mean, that honestly continued for years. And my only way around that, and honestly, some of the only good results I had were courses that, you know, were conducive to not hit driver. But then in high school, I had this two iron, I put it in the bag, I basically hit it off every tee. And I said, well, I know I can get it around in 76 if I just like bunt this two iron off the tee. Um, Where if I had a kid right now who was going through that, I would say, no, you'll be a college player eventually. But if we're going to get you ready for that next stage, again, kind of like the skiers, we're going to really focus on this thing and we're going to fix it so that it doesn't cripple you later on. And, you know, the technology is, is to a place. And I think a lot of the research is to the place that fixing problems for kids is a lot easier. Um, 
But yeah, you know, I kind of avoided a problem and band-aided it and got through high school with kind of like relative success to kind of keep the ego up versus just saying like, hey, I'm going to actually address this and maybe struggle for longer, Yeah, but be better in the long run. So Albert, let me ask you then, because I've heard a lot of players mention this and I always think it's interesting, mm. but confidence, right? Like mm. it's one thing when you walk out there and you're putting with your back to everybody because you know they're watching you. But then something changes, right? Then you're walking onto the range and you know that they know that you know that you're not the best anymore. <laughs> and that whole feeling, now you really recognize a lot more when, okay, well, now I'm not as confident. <laughs> you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it makes me think of some of my younger kids that are really good right now. And it's like, okay, when I think of confidence, like, what do you have confidence in? Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like if you get in a car and you're a race car driver and you know this car's perfect, I'm good. I have confidence in the car. Or are you a race car driver that says, I can drive anything? Put me in whatever car I'm going to win the race. Um, or do you have confidence that you're just going to be better than the other people? Because I think all three of those things are different things. You're all, you know, you're confident that you're going to win the race, but it's for different reasons. So when, the, when, when you get a little worse or the car isn't great or the other people get better, like everything gets muddy so i think for me especially my confidence was that i was going to beat everybody else yep and so then like you said when that starts to when when they know that i know that i'm not as good anymore and i'm not as i'm not better than them then they have something on me and i, and I don't know i have i'm not tethered to anything so i think the best thing i could do for my young kids now is say okay w- one why do you love golf Right. So could you go out and finish fifth in a 10-person tournament and go home happy? And then two, if you're confident that you're not going to finish fifth, you're going to finish first, is it because you have some process that you're following and you believe in the work that you've done leading up to it? Or is it just because I'm better than these kids? And and I think, and I was going to say earlier, I think that one thing we definitely can do as adults is give kids more credit in what they can understand and what they can rationalize. Because I do think that young kids can know the difference between playing just to beat people versus playing to have fun or playing to to try out something they've been working on i think that they can understand those things um and i think if we give the opportunity to do that that they will um but you know for me i I definitely it was all about beating other people and when that went away the confidence just dropped because you know i didn't necessarily have confidence in myself as the driver of the car, I think I just had confidence that like my car that I was, you know, God gifted is faster than everyone else's. You know, and that's a, I think that's a great analogy, man. Um, you know, I mean, I guess if you compare that to like Tyler Duncan, which is a great plug, right? Cause Tyler mm-hmm. along, along mm-hmm. the way, no one was saying, Hey man, this is the next phenom. Man. This is, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, you know, one of the things I asked you about before, um, when we spoke was just kind of like, and I, I just thought this was such a classic line by you. You talked about the precedent that gets set. And I can't tell you, man, I've ran with that because I just think like that is gold there. And even in relation kind of like with you and, and your dad, like along, along the journey. What, what about the precedent that got set when you started to struggle? And, and what does that mean? Yeah, so, man, I mean – when yeah it's tough because like for a kid right you're you're looking for order and, and and organization and when this happens then this happens and so you know you i i know that the car rides home are happy when i win i i i know that we get ice cream when i win which is all like there's nothing wrong with any of that uh, but then when it goes poorly and then you take away the thing that's on the other side of the play and you play poorly and now the car ride isn't so great or you know that you're going to get chewed out a little bit or you know that it's not as likely you're going to have pizza or be able to go to your friend's house you know there are all these precedents that start to get set that then get attached to some game which largely should be treated the same as uno like hey let's get it out and play and then we all go go to sleep uh and love each other as a family now, now we we all try to win at uno though 
But, right, right. But yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> but, uh, but besides, and uh, besides, man, when it, when it's Uno, man, when I win, it's skill. When I lose, it's luck. Right, right. You know? <laughs> but sorry, man, I had to put that yeah. in there. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you as as parents and as coaches, the precedent that we set. I mean, I think even when it comes to, I try to think a lot in the micro, where it's like even when they have a bad shot, when they have a bad hole, like, what do you say? What's your body language? I mean, I'm, I'm not going to call anybody out individually, but multiple, multiple of my kids, and I identify this with this because it was with this way for me too. I knew my body, the body language of the parent and what they were feeling when I would hit a bad shot. And you can see it. You can see it. My kids can see it 200 yards away. Yeah. And I, I've, I've learned so much about my experience just by listening to the kids that I have now because they're like, I can see my dad slump his shoulders or I know when he walks away, you know, when he walks, starts walking ahead versus staying close to me, he's upset with how I'm playing. Or I know when my mom stands behind me, she thinks that like I'm listening because my aim is wrong. You know, it, you, you're just like you're adding on all of these things as a coach, as a parent versus choosing to set a precedent for yourself and then for the kid excuse me when they miss a shot or when they miss a putt you know anything that they do that's not disrespecting the game or the course or their competitors it's all positive and, and, and choosing to do that as adults we, we should be able to do and some of us have stuff we need to <laughs> deal with but when it comes to you know for the kid setting this precedent of hey this is how we take this is how we take these things on because they're going to happen, you know, right? Like when, when do we start telling kids like, Hey, you're doing incredibly now and it won't always go this way. So let's enjoy this. But there will be times where you'll struggle a little bit. There will be other players. You see that kid there, you beat him by four today, but he's been getting a lot better. I, it wouldn't surprise us if in a couple months you guys are similar and that'll be great. Right. Like all of a sudden you've reframed this entire situation that oftentimes for kids freaks them out. Like, Hey, I've been beating Johnny since he was seven. Why are we tied now? And it's like, not that big of a deal. Mm -hmm. It's because he hit a growth spurt, you know? <laughs> and like he had a summer where his grandpa took him out every day, you know, like all these other factors that come into it. And again, I think that kids understand enough that we can actually trust them with some of that information. Yeah. That's great, man. And and I know the listeners right now, I mean, they can see why you're just going to be such a, and already are such a fantastic coach and instructor, man, because you've walked through that stuff. Um, I mean, what, how did the relationship with your dad, how did that, how did that go? Well, you know, I, I recommend not just me. I mean, the, um, the father, son, and then Annika played with her dad. So the daughter, dad, uh, tournament, the PNC, I believe, I think it might have been Fred Funk, but it was one of the guys, and they said they were joking that they wished that they could switch up the pairings randomly so they weren't playing with their kids because usually it's helpful for somebody else, right? These are guys awesome. that, have play, that, that are just the absolute best Hall of Fame guys saying, yeah, it would actually be better for Tom Watson to tell my kid how this putt breaks versus me. And, and, and so many times, and not to pick on the parents, but so many times these middle handicapped dads think, oh, I'm, I'm much better than my daughter, so I should tell her how to do this. And you might be right. And a lot of the times you are right. But it coming from you, you being the same person that's telling them to clean their room, you being the same person that's telling them to be home before 12 and they just want to be with their friends. When you tell them to hit eight iron versus seven iron, it's going through the same ear and out the other. <laughs> and so... I encourage parents a lot to just outsource coaching, outsource yeah. that information to guys like you, to great coaches, you know, like guys in the indie area like Max, that's, you know, me uh, hands. And so it, doing that automatically takes a bunch off of your plate and protects the relationship. And so for my dad and I, you know, he was part coach, part manager, um, you know, he was a person, part sports psychologist, and it's great for a while, but then when you start to get a little older, and again, it gets more complicated, and then when there's some struggle, and you butt heads, it's really, it can be really toxic, and so we had to work through a lot of that as I got 14, 15, 16, 17, and it was like, hey, like, I don't want to listen to you anymore, like, I, I got this, and it's not, you know, you don't get it, and you know, all stuff with parents <laughs> I know I've heard before. Um, I had a really interesting experience this summer 
where it might have been the same. It, it was back-to-back days. And so I'm really lucky to have a wide range of kids. So I'm caddying in a six-hole tournament in Fort Wayne in the parks uh, in the parks department for one of my kids. Six-hole tournament. Nice. Did you and get a percentage? I, I did. I did. I Good. got a nickel. <laughs> so I'm watching. There's all Every kid has got a caddy, and it's a parent or grandparent. And it's all good. Grandparents are loving it. Parents are loving it. You know, there are a few kids, you know, they're having some problems. But everybody, you, you, everybody's got a caddy. It's a parent or grandparent. The next day, I caddy in a junior AM qualifier. One, there's a rule that it's not allowed to be a parent. Yeah. And two, barely any kids had caddies. Now, why is that, right? There are a number of reasons why that would be. But definitely... It's because there's one definite reason is that there are not enough people in these kids' lives that could come do it because it's always been a parent. And even if they were allowed to caddy, a lot of those kids would say, no, I don't want my parent to caddy for me. And so it's like what it made me think of was like as a parent, as a grandparent, you have a choice. You can be hands off early and then be invited in at a later age or you can force yourself in early and then be invited out. Later. He has to leave and, <laughs> right and, and it's, it's it's not always that simple but a lot of times it is the, the the parents i have a lot of really and and again it's easier when you don't know anything about the game so i have a lot of really great players right now whose parents couldn't break 200 i mean have never picked up a golf club it's great and they just stay out of it yep and it's harder when you do know a bit about it and you've had your own golf journey but to me it is as simple as as a parent you can stay hands off early on. And then when the kids, you know, what better gift for a parent, for your 16 year old to say, Hey, yeah, dad, why don't you, why don't you come? <laughs> why, why don't you join me for this? I would love to actually have you catechism. That would make me feel great. Like what better gift than that versus forcing kind of it on a 10 year old and then building up all these bad memories and all this conflict. And then when they're 16, it's like, no, I'm not even, you know, I've seen parents have to watch from two holes over because their parents told them not to come. Yep. It, that's not what you want. And so it's like, but you have to think about that way ahead of time. Yeah. And so, you know, that's definitely something that I learned and, you know, thankful that, you know, my dad and I were able to, you know, as soon as you take out the competitive golf, then it's easy, right? Now you've got this relationship that's not contingent on some outcome that's really hard to control. And then you get to have this normal relationship with, with, with your kid. I mean, again, to whether it's Uno or whatever, you know, you're not going to base your relationship on a game whose that's outcome is so random. But we really accidentally back into that when we get too invested in our kids' golf careers and how the outcome is, what the result is. Now, again, if it's respecting the course, respecting the game, respecting players, great, right? Take it to town. But when it comes to the results and you know, when they miss a seven iron to the right of the green, when you said you should miss it left, they can't control that. Pros can't control that. I mean, Justin Thomas in that playoff, I know I'm ranting right now. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he hooks it in the hazard, and then he hits an okay second one. And then on the third one, he chunks it. It barely gets over. He goes and wins the tournament. And, and, and you know, now your kid's trying to hit a three-wood. He's 11 years old. He's got a 75-mile-an-hour swing speed. There's 16 degrees aloft on the club, and he misses one. And you're like, oh, you got to keep your head down. Really, like we we've got to understand more and just and, and and understand how hard the game is, and then be able to let that be the main influence of how we communicate to the kids. Yeah, yeah, because I think that's fantastic, man. I mean, you see a lot of parents out there that are just joysticking them, man, joysticking them after yeah. every swing, every swing, and it's just like even listening to it, I get worn out. Yeah, and yeah. I'm like, they're just getting ready to go play, man. They're just warming up, buddy. Like this, right? Do yeah. we know? Do we know these shots in the range? Like they don't count. Like they don't mean anything. Like. Right. You know, you, you said something I also thought was gold, but we don't want the sport to be more important than the relationship, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but, you know, but with, with our kids, I'm thinking of a parent perspective now. I mean, mm-hmm. you, can you elaborate on, on that point? Well, yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a parent. <laughs> um, I have a lot of reps of observing parents and, you know, I had my own experience with my parents, but you know, when the worst place you can be, I mean, again, is having a kid who's, you know, going through formative years and, you know, becoming a young adult, not want you in their life, you know, to an extent and, and not want 
you a part of the main, you know, their golf or their whatever sport it is. The worst thing would be for them to not want you there only because of the relationship that you guys have cultivated through it for the last 10 years. Because yeah. it leaves the parent in a bad place. Because for the parent, you're like, I paid for this. I took you here. I did that. You know, right, right, right. And, but all they're thinking about is, yeah, you also yelled at me on the way home and you did, you know, whatever, right? So, and then if you flip that and say, okay, I'm going to do all that you're, because you're, you're, you are signed up to do rides and pay for things and get them new clubs and you're signed up for all that. But if the relationship is good, you're going to get a really, really grateful 18 year old. It's like, oh my gosh, my parents just been over backwards for me. And I'm so grateful. And that's the, that's the goal. That's the end goal of what we want. And so putting the relationship first, like you said, at age 10, at age 11, at age 14, that's what gets you to that end goal. Cause I, you know, like I said, I've got kids all across the spectrum and parents all across the spectrum. And, I can see the parents now that are not cultivating the right relationship and what it usually winds up being. And we've got years and years of this because it's, you know, when you were a kid, when I was a kid, we see these kinds of parent relationships. And then on the opposite side, when you see that, that family, that's just happy, whether they won or lost, you know, happy and joking, whether the kid won the playoff or didn't, that's a really, really healthy thing. And, by the way, it helps the golf, you know, if the end goal, even if, if selfishly you're only being nice because you want the kid to play good golf, like that still works, right? Like when the kid feels safe and when the kid feels like nothing about home life is riding on this five footer or this sand shot or this drive, they're going to play free. And to cultivate that, it's a conscious decision. But I think understanding the stakes is important. I think that can motivate parents to understand the stakes where it's like, hey, thousands of simulations of this, when you're over-involved at a young age, there's going to be a breaking point. Yep. And we have no evidence that suggests otherwise. Right. So that's what parents have to think of when they're tempted to over-coach at age 11. You know? Yeah. Just gold, man. I mean, it's just gold stuff you're pouring out here, man. It's great. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've, I've seen, I've caddied for my son and, um, you know, I've seen a parent caddying for his boy played really well, good player and just behind a tree and he's just ripping into him, man. I mean, just ripping into him. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. and, and it's to the point where, I mean, uh, I have to tell my son that, you know, we, you don't, you don't look at him, you stay completely mm -hmm. away from him. Cause mm -hmm. I just don't even mm -hmm. want that collateral damage. Like it's mm -hmm. like a grenade exploding, you know, I don't want anybody hit mm -hmm. by that shrapnel. Right. Yeah. And it's and it's abuse, man. It's really abuse. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. You know, I guess. And then I, I backtrack it. Right. I always look at it. OK, well, why is the parent so hard on their kid? And mm. I think what it comes back to then is, well, the expectation, um, what they want for their kid. They want to play at D1 level. Mm. And I think they think a, a D1 full scholarship. And then they also have this notion that a professional career in golf could be for this kid's future. And they phrase it like it's an option. Like, if he wanted to play golf, we'll see, you yeah. know, I mean, like, like it's an option. I try to tell parents, if you knew what it took to be a professional athlete, you'd never sign up for that route, man. Because the only people you're looking at is Rory McIlroy and Spieth and Justin Thomas. You're not looking at um number 126 in the world who just now doesn't have his card and now has yeah. to go back to these playoffs can you elaborate on or just talk about um you know what's the advice you give to parents who think about a role in like professional golf and again i know it's but just just talk about that i mean you got the parents yeah. who think like hey they can be a professional golfer Right. Absolutely. So I, I'm going to go, I, I'm going to get there. I'm going to start with, with something that I think about a lot is it, it, the economics of it. So I imagine, okay, you, you take your kid to the, um, to the local carnival, it's five bucks to go in and you know, they start kind of acting up that attitude or whatever. You're just like, okay, you know, let's, let's go home. Compare that to we're going to Disney world. Exactly. We got plane tickets. We're at Disney. It costs X amount. You get in the, Epcot and the kids start acting crazy. That parent's going to be way more likely to just snap. Okay. And golf obviously is Disney world <laughs> and it costs a lot. 
it takes up time and it is easy for a parent to get frustrated when a kid is, is kind of pouring that out, you know, and, and, and wasting what you deem of great opportunity. So I think as a, as a industry, the less we can get it to cost, I think that it will help with parents. I, I think that some, some of the more expensive sports, the parents are crazy. So that, that, take the most time and cost the most money because it's like there's this extra kind of like weight on the parent right um and but realistically you know will that change will the cost of clubs be cut in half in the next 10 years no okay so if you've got a 10 year old and you think that they're going to play d1 golf they're going to play professional golf here's what you're signing up for i mean you're you're signing up for over a thousand dollars in tournaments every year and then you add the travel cost to that and if if they're really good, so if they're really good from age eight to eighteen, that's probably four different sets of clubs, it, realistically, because their their swing speed's going to come up, so they're going to have to get out of the junior set sooner. But the junior head, you're going to have to replace that, and so then you need another set. And then they're going to hit a growth spurt, uh, and then when they hit the growth spurt, they'll need to be longer, and you need a new set there, and then they're going to get really really good. And they're going to need a set that would probably get them through college. But you're signing up for like four sets. So like you said, if you really knew what it would take, right? So if they're really, really good, you're also signing up for that. And then whether you use a recruiter, you use a coach, you use, you know, if you outsource some of the stuff like sports psychology and coaching and working out, you're paying for that too. And then they get to college and hopefully they get a scholarship. And, but let, let's say that they get partial. So they're still paying for college a little bit. And they say, okay, well, I want to play pro one you're probably their first call for like hey can you support me to <laughs> do this thing and they're going to spend some years where they're trying it and most people obviously don't make it and even the ones to your point that do and who would just be you know just praised at their local club they struggle i mean you know they they, they have to you know they, they don't travel as well as you know phil mickelson you know those guys on jets they don't travel like that and they don't stay in the same places and you know, they're having to, they're grinding over, you know, putts and rounds to make a cut so they can put an extra X amount in the account. I mean, it just, it costs a lot. And that puts pressure on everybody. And I think it, it, it's funny how it kind of ebbs and flows because at a young age, it puts pressure on the parent, which then gets dumped onto the kid. And then the kid starts to understand that a little bit more think 14 15 16 how much it costs and the parents still have some anxiety about it and then you get to school and then mainly it's on the the player now you know the pros that i work with you know i don't care if they had a draw or a fade but if they don't have any money in the bank account <laughs> it doesn't matter what their stock shot is they're not gonna be able to produce it because they're so stressed about just you know making money to survive so you know i think that the, the economics of it is certainly important and I think, and the time that it takes, because, you know, it, it's not just about the money, it's about the time that it takes. And so that pressure on the parents um, and then eventually on the kids, it's it just, it's a lot. And and then when you add in how likely it is that you do win a state tournament or go play D1 golf and go for professional golf, it's it's a lot. And, and is it worth it or not? It's funny what elite athletes will say about, would they want their kids to do it? You know, would they want their kids to do the same thing that they do? And a lot of them say no. And then you're like, well, what does that mean for me? It means you probably should back off your kid. You know, it, it, I've been loving, you know, Kobe Bryant since he retired, how much he's talking about stepping back and letting kids play, right? There's some good videos of him at basketball games with his daughter, and he seems to be explaining things. You know, but he seems to be taking this approach. It's just like let kids have unstructured play and let them develop their own relationship and curiosity with the sport and then just see where that goes yeah. and versus trying to, like you said, well, if you want to play D1, do this. You know, the reality is you don't know really what it takes. I mean, I played D1 golf and I'm really not sure. You know, I've got some kids that are really good, but if they don't, you know, peak at the right time, maybe they won't play D1 or, and they still could be a great golfer, right? Like it, it's just so hard to know any of this stuff that like to try to put any pressure in the now on it, it just, it's not fruitful. Yeah. So if, um, and this would be a real, I guess, specific golf question, because mm. I have my ideas come to it, but if you mm -hmm. had to say, Hey, you got to be this good. If you want to be playing professional golf, mm. do you mm. have a standard? Do you have some sort of, uh, metric or analogy or metaphor mm -hmm. that you use? Mm -hmm. Um, the, so I, I, I like Andrew Rice a lot and he 
he tweeted out a couple times his kind of top five, and I, I won't remember them exactly, but um, speed, he says, is one. You know, he's got to be able to hit it far. Um, and I believe the second one that he puts every time is, is a, a good mental state and, and just the ability to remain calm. Um, and, you know, honestly, if I were to audit what I do and have done with kids, especially in the last six months, it's like you've got to hit it further and you've got to understand the game. Because if you can do those two things, a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself. Um, so, you know, when I'm looking at a young kid, it's like, hey, and I don't think too far ahead. I think, okay, how do I make sure that they're going to be a varsity player? So like, well, if they hit it far and they understand the game, they'll definitely be better than most. And then when they're doing that efficiently, it's like, okay, well, still, I mean, again, understanding the game and their club selection and that kind of thing. I mean, they have to be incredibly smart. I mean, guys like Dustin Johnson get a lot of flack, but when it comes to his knowledge of the game and his game and how to play it, genius level, right? So if, if you just made it physically, you've got to be good, which we overlook in golf and a, a whole nother podcast about specialization and how athletic your kid needs to be. But physically, if you can do it and then if you can understand the game enough. And I think there's been a good update, I think, to some of the research about like, because not every kid's going to be stoic, right? You've got John Rahm and you've got Sergio and you've got fiery type players. You've got um, Lexi Thompson, you know, you have players that are fiery, but they understand how to know themselves and control themselves to perform, right? So trying to fit kids into one-size-fit-all mentally when it comes to stoicism or being able to be thin on the course versus just knowing themselves and knowing the game, like I think that we can get a lot more kids to a place that they're high performers. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's those two things. I mean, if a kid can hit it far and, and control their emotions and know themselves personally, I think they have a pretty good chance um, to play a high level of golf. And because in just the work ethic, I mean, if you practice putting enough, you're, you'll be adequate enough to be able to play really, really good golf. There are some really elite putters that are in the top 10 constantly, like Ricky or Jason Day. But outside of that, it's not as consistent of a thing as, oh, who's at the top 10 of driving distance every year? Check out some of the same guys. Oh, they're also at the top of the money list, right? So it's where the game's headed. And I think for the good, it scares some people, but for the good, I mean, other sports are that way. In the NBA, if you're not six, whatever, your chances automatically go down. And I think sometimes we think, you know, I get, and I do my best to help, but when a parent brings me a kid to play golf as a last resort because they weren't good at anything else athletically, I'm like, I got news for you. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, it's not going to be like he's just going to magically excel at this thing. So, yeah, that's a long answer to no, say. No, that's great, man. Physically and mentally, I mean, like you've got, they've got to know themselves and they've got to be athletic. Yeah. Um, you know, I was uh, talking with Clay Merchant and kind of asked him about, mm -hmm. you know, clubs and swing speed for – kids and stuff like that and he said look my dad is that being mike merchant obviously around and um he said uh he said dad I'm, ar I'm already hitting it by these kids you know why can't i just get a bigger club and he said well how, how far are you hitting it by he said well you know i'm hitting it by him by 20 yards he said clay i want you to hit him i want you to hit it by him by 60 so you're gonna be staying in these small clubs you know and it was just all on that swing speed man and i was like what an epic line, you know what I mean? Because that's somebody yeah. who knows the uh, the trajectory and then, you know, hitting it 300 yards now. So, Right, right, absolutely. Um, let me ask you one more question, Pearl. Yeah. What question am I not asking that I should be asking? Mm. Mm. No, I mean, we, we covered a lot of good stuff. I, I, I think – And, and I guess maybe less specific to you, maybe all of us as an industry. Um, you, what's the best way for, for kids to learn? Um, you know, I've got an email draft, and I'm sure some of my parents will listen to this. I've got an email draft that's been sitting there where I just really want to send it out to all the parents and say, hey, please drop your kid off and pick them up in an hour because you being there doesn't help and that's not that's nothing against parents. It's about kids and it's about how they learn best. And if 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 them being there was the best thing, then researchers would say, Yeah, parents, you should be right there standing next to the coach in the lesson. But the research just doesn't show that. 
And beyond that, I think golf specifically, uh, individual attention, a lot of people and parents want. Um, but a lot of research shows that that's not the best way to learn when it comes to some of the physical skills and, and, and for them to cultivate a good relationship with it. There comes a time where it's necessary. But if we were to balance that out better, I think kids would play better golf. Um, and when you think, you know, organically, uh, how some players got really good organically, if they weren't just kind of a lone ranger that was fine being by themselves all the time, like a Jack Nicholas, they, you know, there were all these people at the club that they could play with. Or they happen to, you know, grow up in this group of small, you know, four or five small, uh, a small group of girls or guys. And they all play together, right? So how do you create some of these organic things that we know have happened and then put kids in that environment? And so I, I think the question of what's the best way for kids to learn, and it may be a different approach with psychology or whatever, but how do we take, um, so the, the Jesuit priest used this form of thinking that's called casuistry. It's like, how do you learn from other things that are similar to yours? So just stop thinking about what you're doing think about how are kids going to get a basketball? How are kids going to get a soccer? How are kids going to get a decent? Why aren't we doing that? And if we looked at what golf is doing and compared it to basketball, it'd be me standing on a free throw line with a kid and then shooting free throws over and over and saying, all right, good luck in the game tomorrow. I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And if we said, okay, in golf, this is what we're going to do. And it's, and it's tough. There, I, there would have to be long form changes where it's like, how how do I get on a golf course? If I called any golf course, maybe besides one, Mike Harris at Brookwood, who's just the godsend. But if I said, Hey, I need to bring 16 kids out. We're going to hang out on one hole and we're going to hit all these different shots. And they would say, no, are you crazy? Like <laughs> we need to make money. Right. So it's not like a simple change, but I think if we wrap our heads around it, like, Hey, what's the best way to get kids to learn and do more on course stuff, do more stuff in groups and like let them cultivate a relationship with, their peers and with the game away from even me i mean i'm trying to see how much can i remove myself and let them interact with TrackMan and where it says they hit it on the face let them interact with the video and hey what does it look like you did there here's brant snedeker where, where does he take it up at the top like how do i remove myself and let a kid learn the way that um i mean again talent code they talked about the z boys these kids that were skateboarders and became incredible surfers like how did they learn it's like they just kind of backed into it because the environment was right. So it's like, how do we create this environment where kids can just swing and miss and break stuff and not and not have a single word be said? Um, so again, long answer to say, how do kids learn and how can we learn from the research and, and, and things that have been proven and apply it to golf? Albert, uh, thanks again, man, for joining us, buddy. I just, uh, where, where can people learn more about you and follow you? So I'm at, my Instagram is Albert underscore golf study co. Um, and I'll, I'll send you that link, but yeah, I post a lot on there about what the kids are doing. And honestly, lately, like I said, it's, I want to get, especially this time of year, make sure all the kids are getting faster and hitting it further. Um, gosh, especially my young kids and my girls, like they're socialized to be a little bit timid and, um, I've got two well, three three girls now that are above LPGA average it peaked at 98, 99.9, and 102, uh, you know, which is crazy. That, I mean, that's upper-level tour stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you can cut this part out. But, like, there, there's so many of my girls have these ladies' flex shafts. They're 43 inches and 40 grams, and they're so slow, and they wait on it because they can feel it whipping. And I hand them, like, a regular shaft, which would be too much. And then they all of a sudden swing at 85. Are they all of a sudden swing like low 80s? And then we start doing speed for like a week and they can jump from like low 70s to 85 because no one just said like, hey, be aggressive and hit the hell out of it. All right. So like we just do a lot of disservices. And then it happens with young kids too where parents are saying, hey, you know, keep your balance and keep your head down. And be careful. And we slow, 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 slow down. And all, of a sudden this, all of a sudden this wild kid, you know, turns 13 and has more control of his body and he's been swinging hard forever and he's beating the kid because no one ever told him to be careful, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but anyways... Um, yeah, I post a lot uh, about what my kids are doing and try to make it, you know, more about them and, and, and talk about their journey. So, uh, yeah, you can follow me there and, um, kind of getting ready for the next season and hopefully have a few kids compete at state and, and sign some more college deals and just keep it going. Thanks, bro. Appreciate you, buddy. I'll put hey, those, thanks, put Doc. those links on there, man. All right. Thanks.
Thank you for listening to the Mental Toughness Podcast. If you like what you heard today, please be sure to subscribe to our podcast. You can also check us out on Twitter at Dr. Rob Bell or visit our website at drrobbell.com.